If you want to turn in your Bible, uh, probably the best place would be Colossians. That's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. I don't know if you have read J.R.R. Tolkien at all. Uh, he wrote the, the Hobbit, and then he wrote the Lord of the Rings that they made the uh, the trilogy movie series out of a few years back. Very interesting writer, and. Um, there's one scene in The Hobbit that kind of sets up where we're going to look at today. Uh, Frodo Baggins is, I think I've got it right, is it Frodo or Bilbo? Bilbo, Bilbo is in The Hobbit. Yeah, let me tell, talk about Tolkien, I'm not even sure on which Hobbit I've got. But Bilbo Baggins is, having, is in, engaged in a riddle battle with a creature, a creature that he can't see, and they're engaged in this riddle in the dark. And they go back and forth. And the deal is, if Bilbo can solve the riddle that this, uh, this creature, Gollum, gives him, then he'll be, he'll be able to set free. The, Gollum will lead him out and uh, to the right path, put him where he's supposed to go again. But if Gollum flummoxes Bilbo with his, with his riddles, then Gollum will eat him. So there's this little, uh, a little contest going on here. And the final riddle, the one that, that, or the one that barely gets Bilbo by, this is the riddle. This is really what I wanted to get to. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. Gnaws iron, bites steel, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Well, what is it? If you don't know, neither did the hobbit. And he thought, and he pondered, he tried to think of every riddle he'd ever heard. He went through them in his mind, and the creature's creeping up on him to collect its end of the bargain. And the hobbit screams out, Time! Time! I need time! And that, of course, is the answer. Time. Time devours all things. It gnaws iron, it bites steel, it slays kings, it ruins towns, it beats high mountains down. We have been fascinated as a race, as humankind, we have been fascinated with time ever since our existence. From wristwatches that we wear, and, and I am wearing one, so you, know, you don't have to be afraid that in speaking about time, I'll actually go over time. We'll try to get out right at 12. From wristwatches to huge clock towers, even going back to when they were using sundials, we've always been fascinated with time. When I worked at uh, an Anderson County Detention Center in South Carolina and ministered to the inmates there, as I walked through, the thing they would ask me more than anything else, every week I'd get at least a couple guys calling out to me from their cell, hey man, you, you know what time it is? Hey, hey I, you got to watch on, what time is it? They wanted to know what time it was because they didn't have clocks. And they always, that just ate at them. They needed to know what time it was. It didn't matter. Why, you got an appointment? <laughs> no. I just, I, they, they wanted to know what time it was. We're fascinated with what the time is. We've got to keep up. What time, what's our appointment? More than that, if you think about it in the big picture, we're fascinated by time travel. Can we somehow bend the space-time continuum so we can travel 
in the future or travel back in the past and change things. We're fascinated by time management seminars. Get more out of your time. We're fascinated by time-saving devices. Spend, or w- don't waste your time. Here, this will save you time. And even someone, you'd think such an obscure topic, Stephen Hawking in 1988 writes a book called A Brief History of Time, a physicist. It's about cosmology. You wouldn't think anybody would be interested. It's a bestseller. For years, it's on the London bestseller list. I think we can say that we are fascinated by time. And I really started to think about what about time? How do we divide in our minds? What about time is it that we block it off? Do we block it off by the years? What's the best way to think about time? Like, well, last year I did this. This year I did that. Of course, our years are because of the rotation of the earth. But how do you really think about time? What's your perspective on time? And as I've thought about it, each one of you has your time divided into four chunks. Four chunks. If you want to write it down, this is really all you need to take notes on because this will be spending the rest of the time. Your time is your past, your present, your future, and your eternity. Unless you're an absolute newborn, you don't you have a past. And unless you're going to pass away in the next minute, which may happen, we don't know, because we're not in control of time, then you have a future. So what I mean by the past is everything that's led up to this second, the present is what you're doing right now, what you're engaged in, what your mind is focused on, where your heart is, are you, what are you doing? And by your future, I mean everything that's going to happen from this second, the present, on till the end of your lifespan. And then, of course, eternity is where will you spend eternity, in heaven or in hell? What do you have to look forward to there? How will you measure time, if at all, there? So let's look at a Christian's perspective of time and those lenses. Your past, I think of it as yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And I think the first question is, where did time come from? Where did time come from? Has it always been? And I think we can see that God created time when he created the entire universe. Because Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Jude 25, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and evermore. Key phrases, before all ages. Before the ages even started, God, you had all power and all authority. And now you have all power and all authority. And forevermore, throughout eternity, you will have all the power and all the authority. And the, the million dollar question that philosophers have asked for the thousands of years, and I'm not going to get too deep into it. The question is, is God in time or outside of time? Is he swimming in the river with us as time passes? Or is he standing on the bank of the river watching as the river flows by? Now, the funny thing is, I have a problem with both those views. I really do. 
I haven't been able to decide. I'll be honest. Because if the view is that God is in the river with us and every, every moment that happens to you or to me happens to him at the exact same time, then we're limiting him. We're limiting him to say, God can't step outside of time. He's bound by time. He, that restricts him just like it restricts you and I. I can't go forward in the future. I can't go in the past. Every single moment, we have that tiny, tiniest, thinnest sliver that is the present. And as soon as I say that word, the present, it becomes the past. And you can't think about something, oh, I'll, I'll say the present in, in two minutes. Well, it's the future. So is God bound by the same restrictions we are? But then the other problem I have with the view that God is on the riverbank as the river of time th- passes by, and yes, I agree, God created time, but if he's standing outside the riverbank and he's not in time, he is timeless, then how does he hear your prayers? If you a- ask a prayer, if you send a prayer to God at 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, September 9th, 13th, 2009, will God hear that prayer at that second? Or is he outside of time? It's enough to make your head spin, isn't it? To me, the best explanation may not satisfy all the philosophers or all the theologians, is that God created time and he is timeless. He is not bound by time. It does not restrict him. But he has voluntarily chosen to work with all humanity at the present time. He's not working right now with Moses, having a conversation with Moses in some different space-time continuum. He's not having a conversation with your great-great-great-grandchildren right now. He is working with you and with me this very second in the stream of time that he created that had a beginning and someday time will have an end. The reason, first of all, that I think God is working inside of time. Maybe he's not restricted by it, but he does work inside of it, is Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 3 says, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the full time had come, God organized time. He set it spinning like a clockmaker, set it ticking, and then he managed every step of the way to bring Jesus Christ along at the perfect time, at the perfect time when there was the Roman Empire had peace, there were many languages, and God brought Jesus exactly when he wanted him. So to me, that's a good example that God does work in time. He does manage time better than you and I could ever manage it. And now I want you to look at Colossians with me. We need to know, okay, God's relationship with time is that he manages time, he created it, he's not restricted by it, but he does work with us in our current time. But what is our relationship supposed to be to those four blocks that I described? Your past, your present, your future, and then your eternity. What are you and I supposed to do in each of those blocks? How are we supposed to think about them? Look at Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. I see three of those four chunks here. 
Look at this. Colossians 21 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Once you were enemies of, from God, or alienated from God and were en- enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's your past. That's my past. At some point, no matter how young you became a Christian, whether you were four or 94, you had a past that set you apart from God, where you were an enemy of God. And Paul says, that is your past, that you were an enemy of God. You were estranged from Him. You didn't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. But then look at verse 22. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight. I went a little too far there. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He says, now your state is not an enemy of God. Now, you are reconciled to God. You're one of His children. He loves you and He's preparing a home in heaven for you. Once you were alienated, that's your past, but your present state is a child of God. Praise the Lord, right? And then look at at the second half of verse 22. He has reconciled you, Paul continues, to present you wholly in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Are you without blemish right now? Are you without accusation? Could could somebody accuse you of something, right or wrong, this very second? Absolutely. Are you without blemish? Is there something in your life that needs to change, something that you're working on, some area, that tendency that you have where you just, ah, you let that slip out, or ah, I know I shouldn't have done that, or I know I should have said something? None of us are without blemish. First John says, t- talks about the person who says he has no sin, says that person's a liar. So if we still have blemishes, if we still have sin, then Paul can't be talking about your present. You know what? He's not even talking about your future or my future. He says, Christ reconciled you to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. He has reconciled you to present you one day before God without blemish, free from accusation. That's something to look forward to. But it is something in eternity. Not in your immediate future, not on this earth, not in your present, not in your past. It's eternity. So the past was that you were an enemy. The present is that you have been reconciled with God and the eternity is someday God's going to present you faultless to the Father look at verse 23 if now wait a second Paul's giving you a condition here isn't he he says you were enemies God has reconciled you now you're one of his children and you have a home in heaven where you'll be made perfect someday if if 23 if you continue in your faith Established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If you continue. Really the idea is, and I am convinced that you will continue. Paul's not saying, I don't know about you folks. He's saying, if you continue, and yes, I'm confident that you will, then this is what you have to look forward to. You need to constantly continue in your faith. You need to be established. You need to be grounded in the present. 
Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 7. Here's another reference to our past. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You say, well, what is he talking about? A couple verses before, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life in which you used to live. That was your life before Christ. You were subject to greed. You were subject to immorality. You were subject to rage, just like anybody else on this earth. But that is not the way you're supposed to live now. Verse 8, here's your present. But now, now in the present, right now, friends, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. And he gives another list of things that should not characterize the present life of a Christian. So your past might have been pretty horrible. It might be pretty painful. You might have things that you don't want to remember about. And Paul and God says, don't go back to that way. That's not who you are now. In your present, right now, you're a child of God. So live that way. Live like you are. And then look at the commands in 12 through 16. Therefore, as God's cho- still in chapter 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Some of my favorite verses in the whole scripture. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Are these commands that Paul gives something that you need to start working on? Yeah, as you get a little bit older, as you get a little bit more mature. Sometimes Paul says, sometime in the future, I, you know, maybe it's next year, maybe it's three years from now. I want you to start thinking about maybe being compassionate. You know, as things get as things settle down for you, be a little bit more humble. Bear with each other a little bit better. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another when it's convenient. Later on, maybe, when I've cooled, cooled down from it. No. No, you can see what I'm... It, it's, a, it's a ridiculous argument. Of course he means do it right now. I want you to have that attitude of compassion and kindness and humility and love which binds them all together. Be patient with each other. Be thankful. Things that you need to be doing right this second. Not in your past. If you forgave somebody in your past and they sin against you again, does that forgiveness count that you gave to them months ago? Of course not. Does it matter if you just tell them, well, I'm mad at you right now, but someday in heaven it'll all be worked out. I'm just going to be mad at you for right now and not forgive you. No, of course not. You need to forgive somebody right now. These commands are consistent with what Paul calls the new man. The old man was lust and greed and rage. That's not who you are. That's not how, who you are in Christ. You are called to be something different right now in your present. I love verse 323. It kind of sums up some of the more of these concepts. Verse 323. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you're doing right now, work for the Lord. Do it as to his glory with all your heart, with all your effort, because that's what you're supposed to do right now in the present. But there's a, a, an eternal qualifier there, isn't it? Since 3.23 and leads into 3.24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Ah, so your present is tied to your eternity. God will someday, maybe not on this earth, but someday in heaven, he will give you rewards for the faithful service that you perform right now. So your present is inextricably tied to your eternity. And then he finishes that up with, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You are serving right now Christ who will reward you in the future. So do your very best right now. Look at one ten. I've said a lot about the past, present, and eternity. But what about the future? Whenever I see Paul talking about the future, what may come or may not, we don't know because we're not in charge of it, I see this attitude. Look at one ten, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. There's a lot of present tense in there. When you say the I-N-G ending, that's present tense. But Paul is saying... I pray that you may do this. Colossians, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to continue steadfast in the faith. I don't know if you're going to walk with God every day. I don't know if you're going to continue to put off the old man and those sinful practices and live in a way that honors Christ right now. I don't know that. That's in the future. But, he says, I pray that you may do this. This is my prayer constantly for you that you will do this in your future that your future may be even more honoring to God than your present is. Then look at chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. I don't know that I'll be able to proclaim it as clearly as I should. I may, I may not. It's in the future. I don't know. But pray for me. I don't know that the doors for ministry and and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ will be as open as I would like them to be. Pray that they will. Paul says, I pray for you that in your future may be blessed and profitable and honoring to God. He says, pray for me that my future may be honoring to God. The attitude that you need to approach your future with is prayer. Prayer. Trust God. Pray Him every day. Pray to Him every day about your future, about your kids' future, about your parents' future, about the future of your job, about the future of your position here at church, about the future of Community Baptist. Pray. Don't try don't fear. Don't be anxious. We're going to look at some of the other attitudes that we tend to have about our future. But I'm going to encourage you, pray your past, your present, your future, and eternity. And the the primary response you need to have about your future is trusting God through prayer. Look at 
chapter 1, verse 22. Let's look a little bit at eternity. What does God want our attitude about eternity to be? 1.22 says, the, well, that's what we had looked at before, that he will present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Then turn over to 3, 1 through 4. Back into one of my favorite chapters, like I said. 3, 1 through 4 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. That's your past. Christ has brought you into a new present. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Terrific verses. If you haven't memorized those, I encourage you to memorize them. I memorized them, I think, in high school, and they've stuck with me, even in the King James, which I learned back then. But it's still a blessing, and it's still a challenge to my heart to know that I am not supposed to live for myself right now. I am supposed to live in the present, but I'm supposed to live with an eternal view in mind. Set your mind not on things below. The verse was quoted in the, in the earlier worship hour, where moth and rust eat and bite and wa- lay things to waste. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Again, I draw your attention to that connection that you're present, what you do right now, how it matters in eternity. Set your mind on things above, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Christ, who is your life, appears. He will, you will appear with him in glory. A terrific promise, but not in your future, not in your present, not in your past, in eternity. You will appear with Christ in glory. All the more motivation to do what is right and obedient in your present, which is right now. In verses, uh, verse 24, I think we mentioned, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I've kind of given you a little bit of background about time, past, present, future, and eternity, about how Colossians lays out for you what is important and what your attitude needs to be towards your time management. And when I say time management, I don't just mean the little calendar you keep I don't just mean what you have on your iPhone. I don't mean the Outlook calendar that lets you know what appointments you have. Your entire time, from your past, from the time you were born, all the way to eternity. How do you view that? And I suggest that there are several wrong ways that we can look at time. Several wrong ways. The first one is to focus on the past. To let the past control you. There's two things we can dwell on in the past that will hurt us. The first is your past failures. If you dwell on your mistakes, your sins, your failures in the past, oh, I just I know I should be serving the Lord right now. I know I should be doing more, but you know, I just I've messed up so much in the past. I've I, I've ruined my life. I, I'm not any worth anything to God. Then you have an unbiblical view of your past. God, Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, 
so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And Paul said himself, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. First Timothy 1.13 We can't continue to beat ourselves up about forgiven sins. Now, if it's unforgiven, I encourage you, get it right with God. If you need to, get it right with others as well. That's the recipe for true peace, is forgiveness. But if you have that forgiveness then you shouldn't be dwelling on your past sins and failures. But let me suggest that almost as toxic as dwelling on your past sins and failures is the second way you can focus on your past in an unbiblical way, which is to dwell on your past successes. So you served God in the past. Great. So you used to be really active for the Lord. Terrific. So you led somebody to the Lord a couple years ago. That's wonderful. And you know what? If those things were done with the motives to honor and glorify God, God has counted that he will bless you and reward you for that in heaven. But your past successes aren't helping you right now. You are called, just like I am, to be actively serving the Lord and obeying him right now. And if you're using your past successes as an excuse for why I'm not really involved right now, now, I'm not really reading my Bible anymore. I, I read it all the way through that one year. I, 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 had, I met with growth partners back in 07. I don't really need to do any discipleship or learning anymore. Then you've become stagnant. And you need to repent of that and have a biblical, godly view of your past. You can have an unbiblical view of your past by dwelling on your past failures or your past successes. Let me suggest you can also have an ungodly view of time by focusing too much on the future. Isn't this where we tend to be? James 5, 13 through 16. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, meaning if you continue to make plans without having any room for God in them, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. And he continues with that to say, let him who knows to, he who commits, who knows to do right and does not do that, that is sin. So if you know that you ought to include God in your plans, If you know, I'm making these plans, but I haven't really prayed about it. I haven't really considered if this is God's will for me and my family. I haven't really considered if this is the best course of action. I'm just going on my gut. You know, sometimes we we just have this instinct. It says, if you know to do right and you don't do it, to you it is sin. You can have a sinful view of the future by planning and trying to manipulate situations. How can I get this to work out best for me in the future? How can I twist this? How can I work this around? How can I do an end around so that nobody sees me and I'll still end up looking good in the future? Those are schemes that ignore God. But also, the other view of the future that is unbiblical is worrying. Worrying dishonors God because you're telling Him, Lord, what you've done for me in the past is not enough. 
what the, the life you've given me in the future right now, the forgiveness and peace, it's not enough. I'm concerned about tomorrow. Now, I know eternity's taken care of. I know the trillions of years that won't even exist, that won't even go by as a minute in future with you in heaven. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't matter because I'm concerned that, uh, you know, I, I might lose my job. I'm concerned that my wife might leave me. I'm concerned that I won't be able to take care of this. I'm concerned that I'm going to get sick. I'm concerned about this. Lord, I, I'm worried. That is why we are told, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When we let fear about the future control us, you're living just like an unbeliever. And did you notice that, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition. Your future is not something to be worried about, it's something to pray about. So, I've tilted my hand already. Which of those two four do I think are the, by far the most important? It's not your past, because you can't do anything about it. Except you can learn from it, but you can't change it. You can't dwell on your past successes or your past failures. It's not your future, because you can't control that either. You can't worry about it, because that betrays a lack of trust in God. And you can't make all these ungodly plans where you're scheming and, and trying to figure everything out without Him. No, friends, by far, the most two important chunks of your time are what are you doing right now? Are you in obedience to God? And what, how will things be for you in the future? If your eternity is settled because you put your trust in Christ, that's terrific. But you still, as we saw earlier, can store up rewards you can bring others who will spend eternity to heaven with you. Lead them to Christ. And I'm not, please believe me, you may be a little bit surprised that I said you need to live in the here and now, right this minute, this is where you need to be living the most. I don't mean hedonism. I don't mean an X Games mentality where, oh, I don't care what happens to me. Sure, I'll go down this quadruple diamond black slope naked with a, on a snowboard and hope that everything turns out okay. No, I'm not talking about hedonism because that's living in the moment, at the present, but completely and utterly for yourself. And if we're honest, each one of us has that tendency to live for ourselves. Oh, we're, you say, well, I think I've got the living in the present down good. Yeah, Zach, I don't think that's as tough because, you know, I, I can do pretty well about taking a nap when I'm tired. I can do pretty well about, you know going and lighting up when I get a little, a little tense. I can do pretty good about, you know, giving my wife and kids some money so they can get out of the house and let me do what I want to do. I'm pretty good about the present. Are you living for God, though? Or are you living for yourself in that all-important present? If you're living for yourself, that's hedonism. Self-serving, pleasure-seeking, totally unhonorable, dishonorable to God. But if you're living for God in the present, right now, this very minute, in obedience to what he has said in this awesome book, then you know that your eternity is going to be blessed because of what you're doing right this minute. Laying up your treasure in heaven means that you do work hard in the present, but it also means that you always remember that this world is not your home. And your ultimate goals, you may have the goal of finishing that bathroom project. You may have that goal of selling that car. You may have that goal of working up a level in your job. 
Those goals are not wrong as long as they're put in prayer before the Lord. But the most important thing is to remember you have ultimate goals. Is my life ultimately going to be pleasing to God? Will the lives of my children ultimately be pleasing to God? Will my church grow and honor God even more and more and more? You can't live for eternity without obeying God presently. And I encourage you, as you think about those four chunks that everybody has of time, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever, that you focus your energies and attention, as the Bible says, on what you are doing right now and how it affects your eternity. Let's close in prayer. Lord and Father, there is so much here to take in and so many complicated theories physicists and and scientists and theologians, philosophers. But Lord, when we go to your word and we see what you expect of us, I believe it's clear that you expect us to be obeying you right now, to throw our energies and attentions into what is happening now and how it will affect our eternity. The blessings and rewards that we will accumulate, the honor and praise that we will give you through our current present actions. Lord, give us grace. Help, may your spirit enliven us, strengthen us, and help us to do what is right this very minute, whether or not it's convenient or popular or difficult. Lord, may we honor you with our present lives, and may we someday come to an eternal home knowing that we have served you faithfully. And I pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.